You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's time for the unofficial 40. Soonerscoop.com's very official recruiting podcast featuring Soonerscoop.com recruiting publisher Josh McQuistian. Get your recruiting fix from the leader in Sooner Recruiting. It's the unofficial 40 with your hosts, Soonerscoop.com publishers Carrie Murdoch and Josh McQuistian. All right, uh, welcome back. It is time for another edition of the Unofficial 40. We welcome back in the whole crew, and woohoo! it's actually, we have football going on. We have things to talk about. It's a Thursday here, so we're actually kind of midweek podcasting for the first time in a while, and had a chance to go out to practice this week, and we got basketball stuff going on all over the place right now. Just uh, Joe Duvall is here. He's going to tell us a little bit about that. Eddie Radosevich has been out shooting uh, practices this week for the first time in a while. Uh, fired up putting the social media stuff up. And Josh McQuistian, uh, we've got some recruiting stuff getting ready to uh, gear up. There's a lot of players coming in while the while the uh, Sooners are practicing. Uh, we've got new facilities that are uh, getting ready to take shape at the end of April. We've talked to Baker Mayfield, the offense, already this week. Uh, we're going to talk to the defense today. Uh, but welcome in, fellas. Uh, Josh, how you doing today? I'm, uh, I'm great, guys. You know, uh, just... Uh kind of anxious to listen for once you know i don't i don't i feel like i am secondary to the show now see you're just pandering now because all the reviews on itunes are like we want more josh it's like passive aggressive i have yet to read these i need to look at these my ego could use the booze we don't let josh talk (laughs) you know those kind of things Eddie, uh, Eddie's uh, uh, fraternity almost said sorority his fraternity is apparently hello uh, Eddie, we can hear you. Can you hear yourself? Yeah, I think so. It was just uh, really, lo- really loud or light. Hold on. There we go. There That's we go. a lot better. I had it turned down for radio duties. I think I was doing some Thunder pregame the other day. Uh, no, your your fraternity apparently drove a man to murder himself. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I we were talking. I was talking to some of my fraternity brothers this morning. It's, I guess it's a good sign though when uh, spring rush is going on and you have kids that want to be in the fraternity so bad that. They kill themselves when they don't. He was a junior. I don't think he was going through rush. Well, supposedly he did, and he got blacked by Fiji. Is that really what happened? Yeah, supposedly. That's that's the rumor on the street. And he, and he, okay, so this guy drove through the fence into the backyard. Was it the backyard? Yeah, into like the where the basketball like it was court like is. right off of Chautauqua. Yeah, yeah. And fired a couple of shots at the house. Yeah, and I guess like some guys, you know, obviously heard the commotion came outside and uh he tried to shoot them and he had run out of bullets because he had already shot up the house and he threw a hatchet at something yeah he threw like a something yeah a hatchet he said that he was at the walmart prior to that hatcheting up like shrubbery or something 
so strange. I mean, just looking individual, very much looking at his uh, Twitter postings. He seemed. uh, Are you? You've looked at his Twitter postings? Well, I just saw that somebody said I thought this was him, so I looked at his Twitter and a very uh, affected, mentally ill individual. It looked like it's a bad deal, and then he shot himself. Yeah, obviously, it wasn't Fiji material. Okay, no, you're being too evil. The man just died. Well, his family needs to pay for the uh, the fence too, because we can't. How does that work? I don't know. That's what I want to know. Is that know. a city owned fence? No, we own we own the uh, our university owned fence. We own the the entire lot uh, where the house is actually built. I on. think Clay Bennett can afford a small section of a fence. Yeah, or Lee Allen Smith, one of the two. Get some rich boys. Definitely not coming from the Radosovich pocket. I'll tell you that. Well, I'm glad you can show some compassion, Eddie. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's first start out with kind of, we'll get into some spring football, but there's all kinds of basketball stuff floating around. Uh, there's been a big release by the University of Washington today that's making news. Yeah. Joe? Uh, Washington released uh, Michael Porter Jr., the number one player in the country uh, for 2017. He, uh, we talked about in last week's podcast that he was committed to go there, play for his dad, who was an assistant coach there. Lorenzo Romar, the head coach there, was his godfather. Uh, but they had a terrible season. Romar gets nine and twenty-two, I think they were. Yeah, and awful. They're going to have the uh, top pick in the draft, which is just crazy to think that you can do that. And uh, they fired Romar. Uh, his dad's probably going to lose his job. Uh, so Porter, uh, the speculation was that he would get out of his. National letter of intent that he signed last November uh, in the early signing period. Uh, that was finally uh, granted today, which means that the Oklahoma coaches can now talk to Michael Porter Jr. directly. Before today, it had just been Trey Young kind of dealing with him and sending out those vibes. But now the coaches can do it directly. Uh, there's been a lot of speculation that uh, Michael Porter Sr. has been offered a job at Missouri and that that's, that's a, almost going to be a foregone conclusion that he takes it. But he hasn't taken it yet. He has not taken it yet, and that that delay is a story within itself because that seemed to be so inevitable. And the fact that it hasn't happened yet, and you see multiple reports come out that say, okay, well, this hasn't happened yet. That If they're reporting that for a reason, they're reporting that because there's something to the delay. There's something that they're kind of waiting on. Now, that may be because Michael Porter Jr. wants to go through this process longer. He doesn't want to be affected by his dad. It may be because his dad uh, wants to see what other jobs kind of come open, what's out there, see if any other interest comes. And it may be a combination of both. But in the meantime, Oklahoma is going to make their pitch. They're going to try to sell Michael Porter Jr. on teaming up with Trey Young, who he was an AAU teammate teammate with. Uh, But I don't believe that they'll bring on Michael Porter Sr. from everything I've been hearing lately. I don't think that's going to happen. And in just a case where there's there's really not an opportunity, they're full up on, on staff, right? Yeah, I mean, they, they have their three assistant coach coaching positions filled, Chris Crutchfield, uh, Carlin Hartman, and uh, Kevin Kruger. They just Kruger. hired Kevin Kruger. Right, so they would have to, they would have to essentially find a, a job for another guy, um, and that's just not the way they operate. Everybody I'm talking to just says, that's not going to happen, that's not the way Kruger operates. Um, there, was, there were some rumors out there that, and I do believe that Kruger contacted Porter Sr., and some people speculated that that might mean uh, he might find a, a role for him in the program. But I, it's looking like that was just to talk about uh, Michael Porter Jr., and that there, there's going to be no role for Michael Porter Sr. at OU. Uh, if Michael Porter Jr. comes to Oklahoma, uh, from my reporting, it's, it's going to have to be because he wants to team up with Trey, and they're going to have to convince him to, uh, to separate from Dad. 
And he's he's leaving the door open a little bit. I know I saw the, the USA Today high school. Uh, I can't, can't remember the guys, but apparently he's pretty tight. He's been pretty tight with the Porter family. I think he's yeah, pretty he tight the, with the Young family, too. Yeah, he did the round table with the Young family, I believe, uh, before his commitment. That's right. He was the one that they embedded, right? Yeah, and they did their, you know, their whole... Kind of round table. Jason discussion. Jordan, I think is his mm-hmm. name. Yeah, and, and he he's got great sources, and he had, he had a couple quotes from Michael uh, himself that said that he uh, uh, he's going to consider Oklahoma. Uh, he he loves the idea of playing with Trey Young, which is kind of what we understood. That's why OU's in this picture is because of his relationship with Trey Young. And and I'll tell you, o, OU doesn't really they're not confident by any means in their chances, and I don't even think they really expect much to come of this. But they know they have a chance, and so they're going to pursue it uh, to all ends. Um, and their main selling point is, look, I, you know, I know you want to play with your dad, and I know that your brother could go with you to Missouri and stuff. But if you come here, you could play with Trey Young, and you could play with Cameron McGusty, and you can. We have a better foundation than what Missouri has over there. You have to deal with a new coach coming in, a new system. You come here, we have a foundation. We have Trey Young. Uh, you just see what happens after that. Maybe, maybe you you convince him, but I, I wouldn't get my hopes up if I were OU fans. Just just be excited to be in the running. I would say. Well, it it it's interesting. It, it, the Jason Jordan stuff. I mean, he. I think Porter several times has said, you know, look, it just because my my dad takes a Missouri job doesn't mean that I'm going to go there. But he also was he supposed is to sure say? to say, but I'd love to play for my dad. So, yeah, you have to think if he gets that Missouri job, that there's just no way that oh he's going to get him. He's going to go spend six months at a at a whatever college he goes to. So I don't really, I mean, is it that much to go six months and spend without your dad at somewhere else? At least go to a school that's going to be competitive. Seriously. That's, that's what OU's going to tell him. That's, that's OU's recruiting point. You know, look, look, I, you know, you can say um, that, we, you know, you love the idea of going to Washington, playing for your dad and for your godfather and for all that to come together. But since it didn't, since that opportunity blew up, Maybe it's for. Maybe it was meant right. to be. Don't force it. You know, just come play with Trey. Look at this opportunity. You're only going to be playing for one year anyway. Uh, OU's kind of. You know, you don't know how long Trey Young's going to be in Norman. I've said this on the board before. OU's going to maximize all of the Trey Young years. I mean, they don't know how many years they have him on campus, so they're going to go all all out in all of them. They don't see next year as a rebuilding year. They see every year they have him as a year to compete for championships. So they're going to sell Michael Porter on that. And and if they get Porter to join Trey Young. I mean, all of a sudden, Oklahoma's in the in the national conversation, let alone uh, trying to get back in the Big Twelve conversation. Nobody thought that that Lon Kruger was going to be bringing in one and duns when he took this job. No, well, and he still hasn't. Yeah, didn't work out so well for Jeff Capel. No, it just but he rec- Oklahoma's rec- not a school that he recruited a couple of morons. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's the difference with people who like to bring up, uh, you know, Capel's record when he got fired compared to what Kruger just did and. When Capel was having those types of records, Oklahoma was also amidst NCAA scandal. Uh, Kruger is that's not going to happen. I mean, you look no further than this uh, Porter Jr. Uh, example. He he's not going to hire Michael Porter Sr. just even for the idea of impropriety or the idea that they're not doing things the right way. Uh, so I, Kruger's running his program uh, a way that OU fans can respect in a, in, a, in a college basketball world that's very very dirty. And for him to land a guy like Trey Young, I mean, most of that's fortuitous. You know, he's in your backyard and a five-star guy, and you know he was a ball boy while Blake Griffin was playing. But you know, you still had to, you still have to pull through and land him. You still have to actually get it done. And I, I, I would tell you, most people didn't believe that was going to happen. 
even up to a month before Trey Young committed. No one thought that Kruger could pull that off. Some didn't think it was going to happen 24 hours before it right. happened. You want to hear something funny that I heard today? Uh, Rayford Young has reached out to OSU and told them that they have a chance of signing his son if they would hire James Dickey. He played for him at Tech. I wonder what Trey thinks about that. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like, has Rayford Young been able to control anything right. that, that Trey has done to this point? He obviously didn't want him to go to OU. Rayford Young's been inspired by LeVar Ball. You think maybe he's just trying to see if he can get some attention too? Yeah, get a job out of it, possibly. Uh, all right. That's the, some good the, stuff. The Oklahoma State basketball job is the only job in the country that you don't have to have any experience for and just have love for the university. Is there any other for job? Mike Gundy. Yeah, but he's he's a good coach. Yeah. I mean, I and he was coaching before he. Yeah, became, yeah. Say, Mike Gundy'd been coach. I mean, he knew he was the, the offensive lay. coordinator. At, what Maryland and Baylor? Yeah. I just think it's funny that that's the only job in America right now that you don't have to have any type of uh, prerequisite. Oh, you have to. I mean, apparently not. Are they, we don't know how serious. I mean, I can't see Mike Holder and Doug Gottlieb coexisting. I would be shocked if they don't hire Gottlieb. And that's just, that's literally no inside sources. I anything, don't think that they will. That'd be interesting. That will piss off a lot of people in Stillwater and just Oklahoma State fans in general, I guess you could say. I mean, my roommate went to OSU. He's not. Look, it does. I mean, it doesn't work with assistance. I mean, what was the big argument we had this week? About Dusty Dvorak, you know, admitting yeah. that he put his name in the ring, or his hat in the ring for the defensive line job. Not once, but twice. Yeah. He did it. He did it before they hired Dyron Reynolds, which I didn't know he told me this week. And then he also did it before they hired Calvin Thibodeau. And by the way, Dusty did have a message for everyone on the message boards about this. He said that they completely made the right hire by hiring Calvin Thibodeau and that he's a much better coach and a much better person for that job than he would have ever been. So any of you that are still harboring this, they made a mistake because they didn't hire Dusty. He says they didn't, that they made the exact right hire. Do you think that's going to convince people? Because no, people don't know by that. Dusty wouldn't put his name in the hat if, in the ring if he didn't think he was the best man for the job. Great. I hope it convinces people because I just want people to know that in order to have those kind of conversations, I also have to deal with his poop <laughs> pictures. Can, you guys deal. It, it's always fun when I get to talk with you guys because you come at it from such a different angle than what is my primary focus. When you guys, you know, and I know there's there's some limitations on how much you can be around them, but when you guys are around Calvin, where do you see him as a position coach? I mean, how, uh, you know, I guess what is your perspective on him? I if one that he loves Oklahoma, two that he's a very he's very serious about being great as a coach, about developing kids, about recruiting kids. Uh, I mean, I it's really nothing more than that. Just when you talk to him, you you can tell how much it it, it means to him for his position to be successful and for Oklahoma to be successful and for him to continue. Uh, to you know, building on a tradition that he was part of as a player. I think serious is a good word. He he, he seems like a determined guy. Uh, you know, he's not he's not screwing around and right. laughing and you know, grab assing out at practice. I mean, he is 
every time I see him and we have a chance to watch a practice, he is intensity turned up to a hundred. I, I that that's what I get when I talk to recruits and when I talk to sources just about you know and people were so upset about the D line class last year. From the impression I get, I don't think there was anyone more frustrated than Calvin Thibodeau with the way that class just the way things broke. There were so many things that seemed right on the verge of going right for Oklahoma and just didn't go that way. And I don't think it's even a perspective of, well, this makes me look bad or something. I think, like you said, Kerry, he cares so much about it. Like He felt like – I'd heard like he, he felt, felt like, like he let he down let, the school. Yeah, let down the school, let down the fans, let down the program. Yeah, yeah that, that, was, that was the word I had gotten was that there was some, you know – am I not doing my part here? And like I said, I think this class is going to end up really solid in in this 2018 group is going to be a good group. And I think people will start to understand that that first year recruiting is just really hard unless you get some really fortuitous, uh, you know, breaks. And I I think when you look at uh, everybody can get excited about Lincoln Riley, Austin Kendall kind of fell in his lap. I mean, you know, a guy from North Carolina, high level recruit, Tennessee was kind of walking away from him. I mean, that that was a fortunate break for him. In a lot of years, he'd had to take a three-star guy that not everybody was excited about. Yeah, unless he had a Gerald McCoy sitting in state, exactly, it was going to be tough. Yep, yep. And, I mean, we talked about it last year after one, one podcast after another. It was a horrible year for defensive linemen in Texas, like legendarily bad. But that, that's a trend kind of, right, Josh? That's not something that you can count on to bounce back, the style of football they're playing down there. Am I wrong? No, I, I, you're right. This is something I've ranted on for a long time, and I know you're familiar with it, Joe. When I, I think the reliance and the importance of 7-on-7 seven seven in Texas has become such a big deal that it has hurt line play. Now, offensive linemen, I, I think you can kind of – like, you can turn a tight end into an offensive tackle. I mean, we all saw Lane Johnson. I mean, you can go through 100 stories where you kind of converted a guy. To me, defensive linemen, like, you kind of have that mindset or you don't. I don't think there is a uh, – I don't think you grow into a defensive lineman. When I meet somebody and, I, you know, like, there'll be a talk of, well, he could play tackle or he could play defensive end. No, man, he's an offensive tackle. Like, they're just wired a little different. And – to me, when you look at all the passing in, in Texas and just how much it has minimalized the use of defensive linemen, I, I think it has. It's become a trend where you're just not seeing those elite defensive linemen guys up front. And you mentioned uh, you know last year's class, and you look at even in 2018, it looks to me like the state of Oklahoma itself is becoming um, – more of a resource for OU to, to rely upon for linemen than in years past. I mean, last year they go and get Tyree Slott, they get Isaiah Thomas, and this year you got Jordan Kelly, you got Jalen Redmond. It looks like in-state almost looks to be um, as big of a, um, a, a resource for them as Texas is now. Well, yeah, I mean, and then you throw in Ron Tatum, who's yeah, a guy exactly. they're really yeah, high Tatum. on. You know, I mean, so yeah, there there is a lot to be said for this kind of crazy boom in linemen in Oklahoma. I mean, and you know, you, you flip to the offensive side of the ball, Bray Walker, Bryce Bray, uh, Hunter Anthony's committed to Oklahoma State. I mean, there is a lot of good line play on both sides of the ball in the last couple of years. And I, I don't think it's something, you know, you can count on, but obviously it's a big bonus for Oklahoma as they, you know, try to get the, uh, I, you know, with the exception of quarterback, probably the two most 
important position groups on the field try to get those lined out. Let me ask you, uh, this kind of came out yesterday, this uh, talking about recruiting, territories, all that stuff, getting your feet wet. What are we to think of this mega camp at the University of Memphis now? Is this like, uh, is this like OU maybe doing somebody a favor and they're going to send a coach or something there? Maybe a GA or something. I mean, or, or is this something that could could be fruitful? Go out there and Tyler Tettleton's the only guy that shows up. <laughs> you know, even so, though, how bad is that? I mean, you know, Tyler gets to go out do a little work. I don't know. I don't know how that works. I'd have to look at you know what what if the, if his abilities at that particular camp would be any different than that of you know an OU camp I, I don't know how how those lines get drawn and I think probably the NCAA doesn't either with how much this is all evolving uh, in real time but yeah to I mean, me my God, Auburn OU Kansas Arkansas yep. Missouri I mean those are the big schools Utah I mean it's just and we've seen you know when we go out to the satellite camps we see a lot of you know schools that are there and their coaches are there, and you can tell that they really haven't, you know, they really don't have any guys there, and they're just they're just there kind of working to see if they can find anything. Uh, but I got to think that if you put all these these schools there, you're going to get some kids to show up. And in Memphis, I mean, like that's one of those areas that almost every year there is some guy that nobody knew about, and about late October some kid from Memphis suddenly gets 15 offers. You know, I mean, and it's not that by rule, but I mean, you guys know what I'm saying. There is a, in Memphis and sometimes just in the South, there are guys that for whatever reason just kind of fly unnoticed. I, I think a great example is a guy you brought in a few weeks ago, the Kendarius Taylor kid. Like I was talking to people three days before he came to Oklahoma's, uh, to Oklahoma's junior day, and they didn't know what class he was in. And I go and turn on the kid's tape. I'm like, that's a Rivals 250 kid. And we don't know what class he's in. Like, it's just crazy because there's so much talent. There's so many guys that some guys are just going to fall through the cracks. So I, I, I think this could be really good for Oklahoma. Based on where it is and the kind of guys that Oklahoma usually recruits in that region, I would have Calvin Thibodeau there and I would have Kerry Cooks there for sure. Now, if you want to send some other guys, cool. That's great. But I guarantee you there are going to be a few good defensive linemen there that are worth a look, and there are going to be DBs coming out your ears that maybe, you know, Alabama's already taken a guy they like better or Tennessee's already in on another guy, and you can slide in and steal a guy that maybe you wouldn't um, – that you wouldn't have known about otherwise. Uh, okay, so maybe something big coming up this weekend. Uh, the uh, Under Armour camp going on down in Dallas uh, – Tulsa Union's Jordan Kelly going to be down there. He's got a top three now. Uh, what are we thinking here? Well, yeah, you know, for those that missed it, uh, Tulsa Union defense tackle Jordan Kelly down, announced last night that he's down to a final three of Oklahoma State, TCU, and Oklahoma. Uh, I think a lot of times people assume that because two guys play together, they're good buddies and they want to keep playing together. In the case of Patrick Fields and Jordan Kelly, it's absolutely true. Those guys are good friends. And Patrick uh, Fields is working him hard on Twitter, I know. Absolutely. I, I think Eddie posted it on the board yesterday. You know, Pat kind of uh, – would you even call that a guilt trip? That was almost a guilt trip. Like, <laughs> you, you guys, you know, like, we won this title together at Union. Don't you want to do this again in Norman? I mean, that that's, that's what it felt like to me. 
And I think, I mean, if I was going to jockey it, I'd say like 90% OU, 5% for the others. And I feel like that's just me being my hesitant self and making sure that I can say, hey, I said there was a possibility if something goes really wrong, but I, I'll be stunned if it's not Oklahoma. Seems to me that union uh, group uh, is pretty close-knit, uh, and that even this in-state group in general, going back to 2017, uh, you could probably you go start it off with Justin Broyles. They really kind of like each other. They like the fact that they're all from Oklahoma, and they take pride uh, in joining up together, though you, uh, it 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 makes me think of I don't know maybe I'm crazy. Some of those earlier 2000 teams had a lot of OU guy Oklahoma guys on there, and you can kind of uh, uh, I don't know maybe maybe that kind of enthusiasm is something that can it, it needs to bubble up from something in state. Uh, it, is there something to that, Josh? That you got to, building your core around guys that are really excited to be there rather than yeah, because someone like Cameron Rising was great to land early. But you know he's visiting you know Texas and it's it's tougher to get those guys to really be your ringleader. Am I crazy? No, you're not. And and I think that's something that a lot of times and, I, and I've gone over that 2000 roster before. People always have this impression that Oklahoma is built entirely on Texas high school football, and it's just not true. I mean, don't get me wrong; like it, it's a huge piece of the puzzle. But there is so much Oklahoma talent on a lot of the championship teams you see. I mean, you know, you go that 2000 team, Rocky Kalmus, uh, you know, you go down the list. Antonio Perkins was part of that group. You know, I mean, he wasn't playing a lot, but I mean, just you go down the list, and there's a lot of great players from Oklahoma. Teddy Lehman played a role late in that year. So, I mean, there are a lot of in-state guys, and I think it does. It's something special to them, and I think part of it is those guys know what the perception of them is nationally. They're not as good as Texas guys. That that they know that's what people think, and I think it it creates a just kind of this drive. And you see these guys that like Justin Broyles. If he thought you know running through a brick wall at nine a.m. every day was going to get him to the NFL in three years, Justin Broyles would build the brick wall and then run through it again. Like I mean that that's just that that's how that kid is wired, and that's how you get with a lot of these kids. They are just so motivated to prove people wrong. And, you know, obviously, when that's your goal, it works out well for Oklahoma. You know, I, I threw the, the, I don't know, the stink bomb out there of, of Cameron Rising. Can you go into that a little more of, of what the situation is there? And I, I know Lincoln Riley had talked about uh, and signing day how he wanted his quarterbacks to, to know when they committed early that, that they were committed and that was a, a different thing for quarterbacks. But that kind of doesn't look like how it's going to go with Cameron Rising. It, it does seem – I'm very interested to know where those conversations are at. You know, and I, I, I've talked to Cameron, and I don't know if he's going to give me the real dish on, you know, how you feels about it. But the people I've talked to, I don't get the feeling there's a ton of concern. Now, I they, they know. I mean – Stuff happens. This is crazy world. But really, there's nothing on his table right now that wasn't there when he made his initial decision. He could have gone to Oregon back then. He could have gone to Arizona State with his brother, and he still chose Oklahoma. Like, I think the thing that scares OU is the good to great possibility that Lincoln Riley will not be his offensive coordinator. I mean, if Lincoln Riley gets a great job offer – then, you know, the possibility that he moves on. But as I've said over and over again, 
I just don't see how that works because that's going to happen in December. By December, Texas is going to need to know what Cameron Rising's doing. They can't put all their eggs in that basket and then have to go take some kid from you know nowhere, South Texas, and hope he can be their guy. They need they need a home run at quarterback in this first group, and they hope that's Cam Rising. But I I just don't see that. I know there's a relationship with his dad, and that that's great and all. But I when I talk to Cam, he he has such reverence for Lincoln Riley that I, I just don't see a relationship winning out over that until something changes. And at that point, again, I, I just don't see that being a fit. You know, I need to uh, I need to check into, and it's going to be interesting the spring game, you know, when it's held and what the visitors are like. I know we've had discussions. You you you're pretty sure Cam Rising will come in for that, right? Yeah that 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 is what he's told me is he expects to be there. I I, I really want to kind of dig in and find out from some people like. They're going to move in at the end of April to the new facilities. I would imagine by April 8th, they're going to be able to walk them through and show them something that's really, really impressive. On Monday, Stoop said end of April. End of, well, that's what I said. Oh. They're going to move in at the end of April. Oh, oh, oh I got On you, April I got 8th, it should be pretty close yeah. to... I mean, they're going to be they're going to have all kinds of crap going on, and it's going to be last minute. Well, but, they took people around on the junior day yeah. inside, so yeah. Yeah, I would think... You know, just having what they're going to have finished, and I think you said what they're working on the practice field right now. You could tell. Uh, they they have everything like cleared out now. It's I think it's Those more trailers about trailers and everything are yeah, gone. Yeah, it's more about just like the landscaping and that. I need kind to of go up on top inside. of the parking garage and check it out. Uh, but I w- I would think that it's it's going to really you know, knock some people's socks off with what they're going to see. Especially a guy like Cameron Rising. I mean, when's the last time Cameron Rising has been in Norman? Has he ever been in Norman? Oh, yeah, yeah. He came in. Um, let's see. I'm trying to remember if he was there for a game or not. I don't know that he made it in during the season, but he definitely came in last summer. And that was kind of the – that's what led to his eventual commitment is how well the visit went. Um so he's been once. He's going to obviously, like I said, he's coming back this spring. I'm sure regardless of what plays out in the future, he'll take an official visit. So there will be multiple trips. But, I mean, like I said, I, I understand why people you know, get concerned when these kids are taking visits. But from my just conversations with people, I get a feeling this is a lot of, Dad just wants me to look around and I'm going to take some trips. And I realize that scares everybody because of what happened in January. But I just don't get that same feeling. Like when I was talking to people behind the scenes, it was a lot of, well, I, I think Phillips has more interest than he's letting on. With Rising, I don't get that feeling. I get the feeling that Dad wants to take some trips, wants to make sure he's good with everything. But they are telling OU, we're in, this is fine, we just want to take some trips. If, if you're a kid, I mean, if you're a fan and you don't think that these kids are going to not ever take trips... You are absolutely fooling yourself. I don't understand why people are so surprised by this kind of stuff, uh, and they continually get surprised by it. It actually kind of pisses me off. It's like just thinking about it and thinking about there people like just saying, "Oh, I can't believe this! I can't believe he's not ta- he's taking a trip to Tempe." Like, wake up! All right, I'm done. It's a good thing I have very nice limiters on our microphones. We're we're doing we're doing okay. To, to bring a little more levity to Eddie's point, this is where we're at in recruiting, man. This is 
this is this era, you know, and people say, well, I don't even worry about commitments then. You should. If you, if a kid commits, you are his top school. You are his option. That That's that's where he is at that point in time. That's a good thing. I don't care if you hang on to him, if you lose him. That's a sign that you're moving in the right direction. Oh, you may not sign either of Theo Weiss or R.J. Henderson. Neither would surprise me if they went somewhere else. It's so early, stuff will change. We all know that. But the fact that, they, to me, it's a statement on where Oklahoma is that they wanted to be part of it so early and try to see what they could build. I, I you know what? If, 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 you go out, if you go out and you beat Ohio State in Columbus in game number two and you're still holding on to these guys, you're going to be holding on to them that much tighter. And I, Absolutely. I love the dating analogy, too. I mean, if someone's your girlfriend, you feel good about that. You feel, But that doesn't mean that they won't go find somebody else and cheat on you or get with some other guy. Man, you've been hurt, haven't you? Oh, boy, my whole life, Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> but but you, you, if, if that doesn't mean they're not going to go out and talk to somebody else or cheat on you. But if, if they're your girlfriend, you should feel pretty good about it. Now, you'll feel better when you're married and it's a contract and you've signed everything. But that doesn't mean you still weren't feeling good when they were your girlfriend. And that doesn't mean Jacob Phillips won't, you know, have a night in Baton Rouge and get a little crazy and that and then you lose that commitment but what are you going to do I mean you'd rather take that relationship over not you're doing it you're also doing it wrong if uh you're not hoping that he doesn't tear his ACL in the first like two weeks God. <laughs> I just don't even know what to say about one of the nicest kids I've ever come across. This is what Eddie throws out there. Jeez, you know, Eddie what's, what's, shock, shock, shock. What's amazing is we're having this discussion about a kid that's going to sign next year, yet did you just feel dirty having to post that a 2020 running back was getting was coming in to visit this weekend? <laughs> that kid well, is I feel dirty. You know why I feel dirty? Because that that is that will be my 20 anniversary. So that class, I'm kind of like, oh, God. This current group is the first group that there is a good possibility that they were not born when I walked across the stage and graduated high school. And that's a – that's scary. What, that year, just what sucks. year did you graduate high school? I was, I was 2000. I, I, was, I was the millennium. What was the first year you called a recruit? January, uh, it would have been like July of 01. I, I was – I had worked a summer job for my aunt and uncle in Dallas, and uh, you know I've gone through this story on the board before. Was having trouble with the board. Contacted Krabby back when Krabby ran the board. The board was still asked Krabby at that point in time, and he was like, "Oh, you're you're a journalism student, huh? Yeah, yeah, man, I am." And he was like, "Well, you know, would you want to make some calls for Slave me?" And labor. I I've been a recruiting nerd since I was like 14, so I couldn't have been. I've told this story before. Meeting Bobby Burton was a big deal in my life. Like that was that was a huge, weird, weirdly important thing. That is, I know, weird. I know, <laughs> I know. Uh, but yeah, twenty twenty kid. Like I, I watched a little bit of uh, the. Uh, oh, I think you can go like, to jail for that. Dallas. Uh, I, I forgot who it was. Now I'm trying to think, but they did like a season long episode thing with Alito and uh I ended up watching the it was like a documentary type thing and I ended up watching the uh championship game and he was badass hmm. that running back is by the way that, Jace McClellan. I don't know why that sparked this in my head but whatever happened there was some fire over by the the 
Cowboys new practice facility in Frisco? No, that was at in Tech. That was in Lubbock. It was? Yeah, that was... Like at, at their practice facility. At, yeah, because they're expanding on their... I guess it would be south of the stadium. Uh-huh. You know, where the bubble used to be. Right. Uh, yeah, I remember that. They're, yeah, remember they're like putting in a whole brand new performance yes. center and stuff. And it actually caught fire. There was actually some pretty cool videos on Twitter yesterday. Not cool videos, but... Uh, well, for you. Well, no. I, I kind of... I have a affinity for, I think, Lubbock. So it wasn't very cool. But the... The it was it was kind of out of control. F you Baker. Yeah. You respect that? Um, very much so. More so than uh more so than people that I don't know, throw like turkey legs at people. At least throw an F bomb at them. You mean like in Stillwater? Eddie, yeah. On Twitter and I've seen your interactions, do you like the people that like you or hate you more? I like the people that hate me more. Yeah, I had that feeling. I thought that was where You've that was going to go. You've been raging a little bit on Twitter, even since the show started. Well, Skip Bayless is just a f-word loser. I I hate him with everything, with all my heart. You think I have hate for Kevin Dur- uh, Durant? Times that by ten, multiply it by twenty. That's my hate for Skip Bayless. If I woke up tomorrow and Skip Bayless wasn't on this earth, it'd be a good day. And you're also going after the Rutgers fans again. Well, that, that was just that was that was over the top for Rutgers. Even Rutgers fans know that they're losers, so uh, they handled it pretty well, though. All right, so spring football. I mean, Josh, anything else? I mean, anything new developing? I mean, as far as visits or anything that you've heard popping up about uh, spring game? Uh, no, like I mean, w- w- I'm I'm gonna have kind of a preliminary list uh, tomorrow in the scoop uh, of guys that we we're kind of, and it's not really that I've run down a lot of people, but just over the last week we've seen a lot of people saying, oh, I'm gonna be there April eighth, I'm gonna be there. Uh, one guy that is coming in this weekend uh, is Daniel Carson, the uh, defensive lineman from Kansas uh, that would o- that was offered at OU's first junior day. Uh, he's coming back; it's his first trip since he was offered. Uh, yeah, I guess since the last time he was here, I guess you'd say I don't really know how that works. Um, but, yeah, he, he's coming back down. Obviously, we talked about um, last week T.J. Pledger, the uh, Rivals 100 right. running back. I'm expecting him to arrive tomorrow, so uh, on Friday, for those who are listening at various times through the weekend. Uh, I think he'll be in town on Friday, be there Saturday. I still think Oklahoma's going to get new, good news. So between him and Jordan Kelly, it, it should be a pretty good weekend for Oklahoma fans. I don't think you, it could be in any better situation, Josh, if you could get a uh, another in-state commit, as Joe was talking about with uh, nailing down you know, your in-state, home-state guys, and then uh, you know, getting a national guy. That would be a pretty a perfect weekend, I guess you could say. Uh, well, and absolutely. I mean, and you're talking about also getting a – you know, a, a guy at a at running back where obviously you always want to sign an elite talent and getting a big body up front, which is, you know, always hard to come by. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, off topic, Sam Ponder. How about that? Leaving college football. It's crazy. And, you know, we were talking about uh, Kaylee Hartung. She was going to CNN. I completely forgot about that, but I I remembered it as soon as uh, they need to get her back got over here. And it's kind of weird too because it's like she's going to work for actually like CNN. She's not going to work for the sports for like Turner. Yeah, 
I, I thought maybe that was the first thing is that they were going to sign her up. She's not the woman that you thought she was. No, she's every bit the woman that I thought she was. She just has <laughs> higher goals than covering sports, I guess. I tell you what, uh, she was doing the Sugar Bowl. Oh, I She walked right next to me. And she's every bit as good in person, if not better. Yeah, you, that's she's, she's the type a beautiful of beautiful woman. She's the type of girl you need to smell. Did you smell her? <laughs> no. <laughs> that, that is, is super creepy. First time I've heard that sentence. That is amazing. She's the type of girl you need to smell. <laughs> some some would say you would drink her bath water. She's you would. Maybe. Absolutely. She's really hot. She's the type of girl. You Look need at to smell. Eddie. Maybe. Now Eddie's gonna be like, that may be beneath me. But like Hoping an eighteen-year-old tears his ACL that that he's okay with, but well, that was that was he's a, like that's kind of dirty. That was kind of that, that's beneath me. There's only one person that I truly hope injures himself and never plays again, and that's Kevin Durant. <laughs> so when I say that about Jacob Phillips, he's a good kid. I really don't mean that. It's, you know, the thing that that worries me, that keeps me up at night at times, is that Eddie has control of the camera completely, like. <laughs> I don't know if there's stalking video of Kaylee Hartung on, <laughs> no. you know, if, if there was some of that involved in your footage from the Sugar Bowl. The only way that I, the only reason I there isn't is because I've thought about that before and I'm like, what am I going to do if somebody like comes up and is like, I need to see all your footage from the game. Uh-huh. That'd be like the most embarrassing thing of all time. <laughs> so I'd take it on my phone if that was going to do that. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Well, after the She's Iowa gonna State, block me on Twitter now. After the Iowa State incident, you know, we got to keep you under wraps. Hey, I went back this year. There were no problems in Ames. Everything was good. Well, it's a different. It's configured different now, isn't it? Is there more room? No, no? it's it's still the same because they still have like the cheerleaders down in the. They're mm-hmm. like the only school that has like their pom squad is like they're in the end zone and they never move and they have like two of like two teams of them yeah it's like 25 girls on each side so it's not a bad place to stand but it's uh it's it's a lot tougher to do the job it seems like they've made an upgrade in their palms from what i saw this year i might have stared a little too hard at a couple i don't remember i I'd, I'd say tcu's one my power rankings I don't, i'm too old for this tcu one osu two i'm almost too too old for this and uh I'd say probably Texas three. See, this is my home row. I'll never be too old for this. I'm good. What about I, OSU? They were always they were always near the top in my time. I'd say yeah. I'd say it's up there. Uh, top top four, I guess. Top three, maybe maybe pushing top three. It's always been concerning to me that OU is never anywhere near the top, even even in my heyday. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think. Yeah, and it's and I that's had a lot always of friends that were on the palm team. You guys have been around a lot of campuses. I have too. Like Oklahoma's got a lot of beautiful women on their campus, but it never seems to translate to the palm squad. I, I do believe that generates from them being like competitive, and uh, they actually care about competitions uh. back in the day. Uh, that's what the rumor was back in my day. It's an excuse. That's what I always heard. Uh, but that that easily could be an excuse. Boosters kids is what I think is the problem. I, I'm, I, I'm still super fond of Missouri. That that's, oh, a, that's yes. a strong Missouri, group. Uh, Oregon. Back in my day, once again, not being creepy now. Back in my day, 
they were as strong as you could possibly be. We need to call the Armand and see if they're still what strong. What are they called? The Golden Girls? Yep. Something like that. I swear to God, they're all blonde. Like, I, I don't know why. Missouri's a good producer. I remember I mean, in 2007 good- at, the, at San Antonio at the Alamo Dome, they came walking out of, like, the tunnel, and I was going in, and I literally probably looked like the biggest perv on the planet. I was just like, my jaw dropped, hit the floor, and could not believe that there were that many just beautiful women all together at once. Why is this mirror on your shoe? <laughs> no, that did not happen. <laughs> that, was, that was just pre-Scoop H. No, we had Scoop HD then. Uh, no, not scoop, at the... It was Scoop standard definition. I don't think I was there at that. You weren't there. Oh, okay. It was, it was pre-Eddie Scoop HD. It probably was shit then. <laughs> <laughs> it really was. I think I was I was at that game, though. Was that at the Alamo Dome? Sam. Yeah. yeah. Sam's freshman year. Okay. You were a Fiji. Probably living it up. 100% probably, blackout. Probably, you probably blacked out on the 1,000, river walk. 1,000%. That was the the Mike DeArmond game. Oh, I've heard I've heard legends oh, okay. of that when he uh, ripped on Sooner fans and then he then he gave it up to them after they won. That rivalry was heated for see a that was years. the that was the beginning of like vlogging, the video log. When you'd go up in your room and your phone video was just good enough to where I don't even know if you could use phone. I don't know if people were using phones then or using probably like webcams. Yeah, like, like pre-Twitter almost. Wasn't yeah, it? it was. Well, 2006 is when Twitter started, but nobody was using it then. So, I think that's creepy enough. The cheerleading rankings. Do you think there's a podcast out there where girls are talking about our looks? No, yeah, I don't think that's happening. The ranking of the Oklahoma media. It would be a short list. I was about to say, <laughs> I don't know how you make a distinction. <laughs> it's 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 basically we all kind of blend in. If you're not married, you're not on the list because nobody wants to marry you. I, Fair. Who's married? I couldn't. Who's married on the? I, we all kind of look the every, same to me. Well, the beat is completely different now because it's changed so much. It's like Kersey went to Arkansas, uh, so you have. Ryan Aber married. Uh, Jake Trotter's not really on the beat. He's a Big Twelve guy. He's married. Um, see, Garen's not on the beat anymore. He's a columnist. Jake Jake doesn't look like a troll like the rest of us. He no, was- he comes from money. <laughs> yeah, he's from Cassidy. <laughs> he went to Cassidy, and he went to some school college, like that had like an enrollment of like five. Yeah, I can't ever remember the name of it. I bet there were so many like I just saw an article in the I think it was USA Today or something about some guys that were from Birmingham. They stopped a fire and on spring break on spring break trip and one of their names was like Ford Ford Hamilton or something. Chandler. Yeah, it is like the most southern name. I bet there was a <laughs> bunch of those guys up at Jake's College. I'm sure their their collars were popped wearing a lot of names. They neon. might have been, yeah. All right, so spring football has started. Uh, the three of us have had a chance to go. I'm sure Josh has seen plenty of video that uh, Eddie has put out there. Amazed that the weight of one Marquise Brown became such a big deal because <laughs> I actually looked at the Rivals 100 uh, receiver list from last year. There were a lot of guys that were like, and Marquise Brown, I think, was listed at 170 in our database Something coming like out that. of high school. But there were legitimate guys on the Rivals 100, like top 
top 25 that were like 160. 511 160. That wasn't uncommon to see that that weight and height. Of course this guy's a Juco. I think I think just seeing 148 really freaked out a lot of people. I mean, even if it would have been like 152, I think that would have been a lot better than yeah. actually seeing the number of 148. And, you it know, was just bizarre how so many numbers were off. Like, I know that Ricky Barry's not 244 pounds anymore. And Devontae Lampkin, I was like, what? Like, when he got fat all of a sudden? Because he would have had to get fat in like a month. Because he was putting videos out of himself training. and said he was, what, 360 or something like that? Yeah. I think 363 was the the exact number. It it was also weird too though because I tweeted out like most of the early, the freshman enrollees uh, heights and weights and Grant Calcaterra immediately tweeted me back and was like, "Nah, nah, 233." It was like a, a source of pride almost. Like and he then, went up. Yeah, 13 pounds and then uh who else? Oh, uh Justin Broyles immediately DM'd me 175, not 170. <laughs> and I was like, "I got you. I got you, Justin." <laughs> So I I don't think that those were exactly correct. And, you know, I think that Mike Hout came out and said that Marquise Brown ended up at 157 or, or 157, seven or seven, he yeah. said, which is a nine pound difference. But I don't know. I I asked Lincoln Riley I mean, about looking it. at him, looking at him. I didn't watch him. I kind of thought like, oh, it looks kind of reminds me of Julius McMillan a little bit. It's an old name for you. Um, but I mean, a guy that wasn't like rail thin i mean he had you know he had he was developed the number the the number was more jarring than what he actually looked like yeah I mean, he, he looked no if you watched him out on a yeah. football field you wouldn't look at him and say oh that kid's too small he's never gonna make it i mean jalen saunders dd westbrook mark clayton oh we have a laney side? <laughs> oh laney yes. you hear a little laney in yes. here she just rolled in what's laney you up say to? hi come here no, not <laughs> not interested. Even Eddie's got a smile on his face. <laughs> I'm a good person, except when you get around a microphone, you're kind of like me. No, I just tell people what they want to hear. No, you don't. You don't tell Rutger fans what they want to hear. You don't tell Skip Bayless <laughs> what he wants to hear. Skip Bayless doesn't read his Twitter. He probably doesn't even know who. I know for a fact he doesn't know who I am. But still, <laughs> screw him. We'll fight you. Uh, you Rutgers didn't say people, that. You yeah. said you will fight, fight him. Skip Bayless. Yeah. Skip Bayless works out a lot. I will knock he him would out. Kill I would you. knock him out. He would kill you. I would stab him. He wouldn't have a chance. <laughs> Street uh, rules. And Rutgers people, what are they going to do? They're from New Jersey. Okay, so back to spring football before Eddie uh, hijacks everything with his anger. Uh, you know, I... Here's the thing. We had this talk about the defense and all this stuff. And we you know, we were talking about Calvin Thibodeau earlier. And really kind of what I've been able to piece together and people I've talked to about defense, they can say four-man front all they want. It's essentially the same defense and alignments they had last year, but they're going to change the way that they play gaps. And they're not going to be the guys in the middle are going to actually have a chance to make some plays instead of just being responsible to clog things up. And that's kind of how it's been explained to me. Now, you're going to have Oboe is still going to be a guy that stands up on the end and he can move around. And then you're going to have DJ Ward or whoever on the other side. Uh, but 
I don't think you're going to see Oboe. You're not going to see like Oboe as one defensive end and Caleb Kelly as the other defense. That's want, not the defense that they're going to employ. How much of that do you think is having you know Neville Gallimore and Marquise Overton and Matt Romar and Devontae Lampkin and, and just feeling like, man, we have on the defensive line our, our assets, our edges in the interior. we got to get those guys you know in the backfield making plays. We can't just have them eating up blocks so DJ Ward can go make a play. You know, is, yeah. How much of that is personnel driven, do you think? I think a lot of it, and I think they know that Gallimore can do a lot more than you know that they've they've had him doing. They think Devontae Lampkin can do more than than what they've had him doing. I think Overton and Romar really are kind of you know middle guys, and they're going to be limited at that. Uh, but they want to do, and I don't know the whole particulars, but what it was described to me is like the defense they were running last year did not allow the guys on the edges to, to make plays and get upfield. And it's going to change this year that those guys are going to be put in situations where they're not going to be in a, a constricted area, that they're going to be able to, to get upfield, that the way they're going to play gaps is going to allow the guys on the edges to make more plays. And basically, I was you know, like last year, and, and somebody told me, like, look at the the – the tackles for loss and sacks last year from the interior guys. Like there were none of those. And it wasn't just because they didn't have guys that could, you know, rush the quarterback, but they played in a way that did not allow anyone to make tackles for losses on the interior. And that they, they're going to change the scheme and the way that they, you know, approach the gaps responsibilities in, in a way that lets those guys make plays. It almost seems like, after the season was over and you know there was so much focus put on that Texas Tech game it almost seems like if you were to ask Mike Stoops and I guess we'll have a chance tonight on uh, on Thursday at post practice but the 23 sacks I think almost bothers him more than giving up the thousand passing yards or whatever they gave up again in Lubbock would that be fair to say Mike hates the fact that I think Mike hates the fact that he wants his secondary to look good because that's right. what he is he's a right. secondary guy and when you're not getting pressure on a quarterback, you're putting a lot more. And, and I'm sure he hates the fact that, you know, people criticize him all the time for playing off the ball. He plays off the ball because they can't get pressure. Right. If if they could get pressure and they knew within three, four seconds the quarterback was going to be under duress, I think he'd play press coverage every play of the game. Yeah. It, it just seems like, I mean, when you, when you think back to that Tech game especially, it was Mahomes – Kind of dipping out to his right. Mahomes seven, missed a bunch of seconds. deep throws in that oh, game yeah. too. I mean, he could have th- he could have thrown for a thousand. And in that game, Mahomes was beating him deep. And 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 in those Baylor games where they had kind of gotten embarrassed in the past, a lot of that was actually more horizontal stuff where they were playing way off. And Baylor's just said, "Okay, we'll take our curls, we'll take our underneath stuff," and they just picked Oklahoma apart. Right, yeah, Mahomes was more. People were getting deep. People were getting by everybody. Uh, the, the, there's a distinction there. In the Big 12, it's usually the the Baylor thing. It's usually quarterbacks get the ball in their hands so quickly that there you really there's no chance to get pressure on the quarterback. But when someone like Mahomes is has all the time he had and had guys running deep like he had, you, you got you had to get more pressure than you did in that game. You just had to, and they didn't. I think the biggest thing defensively is figuring out how they're gonna keep Caleb Kelly on the field when they feel like they need to have more DBs on the field. That's to me, that's the key to everything. And does that mean eventually that you're, you're replacing DJ Ward with Caleb Kelly? It might mean that. That's a talent upgrade. You take that. 
It'll be interesting. But let's face it, Caleb Kelly is special because he's physical. Yeah. Not because he rushes the passer. He really found himself those last, what, three games of the season? Two regular season and one Sugar yeah. Bowl. I mean, In fact, was, I think Caleb Kelly might be the best middle linebacker that they have. It, it's it's tough not to say that he isn't just because, I mean, he's, you're, you're going to take him over either the Looney Tunes and then, uh, you know, you just don't, there, there's so much unknown with John Michael Terry. And Josh, I know that you're really, really high on him and he looked extremely good physically, I thought, on Tuesday when we were able to go out to practice. Oh, I'm a big fan, but I don't know how you'd argue that Caleb Kelly shouldn't be your starter at any position, uh, any of right, your linebacker right, right, right. spots. He's, He's one linebacker. of your best 11 players for sure. Yeah. Yep. He needs to be on the field every play. You know, a guy that I thought that looked really good physically, and I didn't even realize it was him until I looked at, up at the roster, was I thought Mark Jackson looked pretty good on Tuesday. Yeah. And doing- He's just been so raw. I yeah. Mean, yeah. And he didn't look as raw when the little bit I was able to watch him. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, I say that he looked good. We watched him for 20 minutes stretch and run around a ring one time so it's not like <laughs> it's not like i saw the kid out there making 15 tackles during our practice or anything like that I, I think that that should be noted as well but physically i thought he looked really good josh do you think this move for jackson helps him his style of play maybe getting to put his hand in the dirt a little more i i think it does i think he is i mean people forget he's a guy that played almost unanimously with his hand in the ground for Cibolo steel so i mean that that's where he really feels comfortable. That's his home base. And I, I think the standing up was just a lot for him to process. Um, and, you know, I know people are like, well, the the roles are essentially the same, and they are. But it's just a different way of attacking a shoulder. I mean, like, you're, you're just little differences in how you're going to step, little differences in how you're reacting to what the offensive lineman's doing. So there's just little changes that are going to be involved, and I think – that probably was a lot for him because, like Kerry said, he came in last year was kind of raw to begin with, and then kind of having to lo- learn an entirely new role. That that's going to change some things. So I mean, I I think Mark Jackson's going to be a good player before it's all said and done, and you know he's kind of one of my examples of, and I, I think it lends into what Kerry's saying, where it looks like they're going to go more one gap, where you've got good guys, you've got a lot of talent at that second level, you've got to find a way to get it all on the field. So the idea of saying, well, we're going to cut down and we're going to go with one less linebacker didn't make any sense. But if the four-man front's just kind of a way of saying we're going to play one gap, then you can make that work with a lot of different guys. I'll tell you, Here's some of my impressions of what I saw from the linebackers. First off, walking in to practice, I ran into uh, Stephen Parker in Oboe. And Oboe just looks magnificent. I mean, he he looks unbelievable. Um, yeah, I mean, you look at him now, and he's just he's chiseled. And I I've never really thought of him in that way before, but he looks outstanding. I'll say this: the guy that surprised me and how good he looked was Kenneth Murray. I mean, long arms. I mean, nice size. I mean, he's up to like I've got him at two thirty two. I mean, he's a guy that really impressed me just physically. And then, as we said, Ricky DeBerry slimmed down. Curtis Bolton has put on some weight, I think, from what I saw. He's not a whole lot different, but a little thicker in the arms. 
not as he kind of looked like he had a basketball body last year, and now he's he's looking like he's kind of becoming more of a football guy. I he, you say basketball body. I kind of thought, uh, and I don't know if this is a knock on him, but uh, I didn't realize that Addison Gums was so tall. Like I thought he was extremely. He's tall and he's skinny. Yeah. I mean, and Levi Draper looked small and skinny. I, he I, looked almost. I'm trying to think of the right word. Not unimpressive, but just he looked like a guy. Like Pat Jones has said, he's just a guy. Yeah, and I, you know, it, it's fun to see these guys when we do now in March at the uh, in the middle of, end of March, and then see them in two and a half months when they've gone through the summer plan, or I guess three months when they've gone through the summer planning. You can you can actually kind of get before and after, I guess, if you will, of it's like. Holy shit, that guy really blew up this summer. I I remember there was a couple guys last year that were like that. I mean, the holy shit award goes to Rodney Anderson. Yeah, I I mean, he he does he lifts. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> he hadn't had anything else to do for I the thought, last year. I thought the uh the tweet that you put out Carrie from the Scoop account hit it dead on. I mean, you went from a guy that looked like Samaj P Ryan who I don't think anybody thought you could get bigger than Samaj. I I'm not saying Rodney's bigger than Samaj. He's more cut. But he's definitely more cut, and he, I mean, he carries it really, really well. All those running backs were pretty jacked. Yeah, I mean, I mean Sutton I'd, looked big. I, I thought Trey Sermon, Trey Sermon was looked huge. huge. I, they have a big athletic backfield still. I, and that's something Lincoln Riley talked about after practice, too. He said, you know, I, these everybody wants to just, you know, okay, who's going to be Joe Mixon? Who's going to be Samaj P. And he says, look, I, I look at my personnel every year is different. And he says, I love the guys I have the backfield. I love that the, the variety of talent I have with Sermon and Sutton and Adams and Anderson and Flowers. He says, I love all the things I can do with those guys. So I, I think it might be a year where you see just everybody kind of starting to find a role out of that backfield. Everybody kind of pitching in and finding their niche. I, I, I think that it, it they may not – you may not see anybody – I mean, I know you won't see anybody as good as Samaj P. Ryan or Joe Mixon, but I, I think you could see them make up for it in the aggregate maybe. I think that production could be made up. Uh, with the guys they have on campus. I think one of the things that really stood out to me just talking to people is we tried it with Bob. We tried it with, I tried it with Baker. I don't know if Lincoln was asked about it, but you know, the 11 new enrollees that they've got, I think everybody asked who stood out to you and nobody is really, nobody's really kind of put their foot out there and said, Oh, this guy is a cut above. It's like, it kind of—I know they don't want to make anybody feel bad, but if somebody usually is just like blowing them away, they'll usually say it. I mean, the, we got the generic—they're—they're they're all good and they're all impressive, and we like them all. But usually, if somebody comes in and just wows them, they're not afraid to say it, and and they—they they didn't single anybody out. Nobody would single anybody out. I'm just trying to—I think through that's the list of, of guys. Yeah, Marquise Brown a little bit. Maybe a little bit. They kind of hinted at his speed. Yeah, they talked a lot about his speed. Well, they've talked about Marcellus Sutton uh, back on yeah, the signing day. That's true. Uh, I mean, I, Jeffrey Meade told me that Chris Robinson throws it harder than any other quarterback there. I mean, that's that's something. Something. It would. I I thought that maybe a li- there was a little bit with Calcaterra. I thought it was really funny that uh, he literally followed. Yeah. Mark Andrews around and I put it up in the board and just yeah. post practice thing. That was kind of strange. It was, that's kind of funny. I mean, they, they, I talked to Mark Andrews a little bit about uh, just their relationship. He said they're buddies and everything like that. But, uh, you know, I, I do think that there's a little bit of that comparison. He's a little bit shorter than Mark is right now. Yeah. 
but you can tell. I mean, the kid's extremely athletic, and that was just watching him go run some routes, you know, three or four routes. So the thing that's funny is like the guy, and it, it's without fail, and it makes sense, but. The guys that are the most impressive, other than like Rodney Anderson, I mean, you have the freaks, but like you look at Dimitri Flowers, you look at Oboe, uh, you look at a guy like Mark Andrews. I mean, those guys, Orlando Brown, it's like there is this cut above everyone else, and it's it's the older guys, but it's like you look at them and you, re- that's why Oklahoma football has won two big straight, you know, two straight Big 12 championships. They have some guys that are just like, men without a question just men like they're not high school prospects anymore they've 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 made the transition into just being grown-ass men when you brought up oboe that's exactly what i thought when i saw him on tuesday i thought that that's an nfl player you know i don't know if i ever saw that before but i saw him on tuesday i thought that's an nfl looking player and there's a huge difference between that and you know the new guys on campus and I think about, um, you know, a wide receiver, Kenny Stills, when he came over in the spring, the pictures that surfaced to him when he first tried on campus, he had... I mean, oh, he I, was tiny. I yeah. don't think I ever saw a guy that thin uh, playing football. And by the time he finished, I think by the time his freshman year rolled around, he at least looked like he filled out and was a normal receiver out there. So I, I think it will be interesting to see how these, these bodies change from but now. But Drew Samia is a man. Drew Samia, that whole offensive line is pretty big. I mean, Creed Humphrey looked pretty big. I Orlando Brown's huge. Bobby Evans, a big guy. Uh, it it was interesting hearing Lincoln Riley talk about the offensive line situation. I asked him if this was going to be the best offensive line he's ever had, and he said, you know, they expect him to. And uh, you know, he went on to say that he'd be surprised if they roll out the same starting five as they did at the end of the season. And I, you know, I I don't know what you want to draw out of that, but I think the bottom line is that they're extremely talented and, and they're extremely deep at uh, probably just about every position. Well, and I mean, they don't even have Cody Ford in their starting lineup. And I mean, he's going to work his way back. And uh, I'm sure he's still got a little bit of shape to get. I mean, he's 300, almost 370 pounds. Um, when he comes back, you have him, uh, Ben Powers, Drew Samia, and Alex Dalton, all capable of playing guard and playing guard at a high level. And Jonathan Alvarez. And Jonathan Alvarez, too. I there has Oklahoma had an offensive line this deep under Stoops? I don't think they have. No, they haven't. I, in every other year they've had a deep offensive line. That's been the years they've made. And when they've had runs. the thing is, like when they've had this was kind of their history. Like they've had you know the Jamal Browns and the West Sims, uh, the Phil Lodeholtz, the Duke Robinsons, but they've always had like one guy on that line. Whether it was Brandon Walker uh, that was a little bit undersized or John Cooper, you know, as a center, they've always kind of had that runt. In there on the there are no runs. I mean, Eric Wren could probably qualify a little bit as a runt, but you know, if Creed Humphrey ends up being a you know a guy that gets time at center, even if they put Jonathan Alvarez, there's no runs on that. I've never seen an offensive line like that at Oklahoma. No, they've. I mean, I, all you can do is give it up to Bill Beatum, but yep. for what he's brought in, he's brought in some 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 really really strong beef in the uh, in the offensive line. Like you said, we're going to talk to defense today for the first time. Uh, it'll be a chance to to kind of, and we're going to write about this in some of the stories that we're working on. But you know, Stephen Parker being out really gives a big you know opportunity for for a guy like Khalil Houghton, 
Uh, Will Sunderland's going to have a, you know, Ahmad Thomas being gone, Will Sunderland's going to have an opportunity to win that job. Uh, I mean, there there are a lot of young guys in the secondary at the safety position, whether it's nickel, free, whatever, uh, that are going to have an opportunity to really grow and make a case for starting jobs. And I think Will Sunderland's probably the most intriguing because we've seen him make plays. Yeah, I talked to you about this earlier, Kerry. I That safety position to me is really interesting, especially when you consider a few years ago when they landed that class of Will Sunderland, Khalil Houghton, and Prentice McKinney. Those are three four-star safeties. People were really excited, and for good reason, about the talent there. And this is this is the first time they've had that chance. This is the first time uh, they've had an opening, really, to come in and fill a spot with, with Stephen Parker and Ahmad Thomas ahead of him. And now Stephen Parker's going to be injured, and Ahmad Thomas has graduated. The opportunity's there for somebody, somebody to make a name, somebody to make a play in the spring game or in scrimmages to really stand out. And I mean, it could be someone like Chance Sylvie even who came in last year. But I think that safety, uh, it, it really is the spot on the defense where you can, you can be interested and see who's going to emerge like you are kind of worried about running back and wide receiver on the offense. Because Will Sunderland could be a playmaker back there. And I think Oklahoma has been looking for a playmaker at safety for a few years now. And I think that's in Sunderland's DNA uh, if he can figure it out enough to where they trust him back there. I, I think it's in Houghton's DNA too, but he didn't show it on the field. Houghton looked much different on the field in college than he did in high school. Because that, 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 it just hasn't seemed to click. I don't know what it is, but I guess safeties, they, they have to have an ability to trust everything they see. And I haven't seen that from Houghton yet. At least Sunderland does that. At least he plays fast. One other thing that, that really kind of, I don't know, made me reevaluate kind of what I've said about receivers watching that is we kind of forget that Nick Basquin is a really good receiver. Like he could become one of the top two receivers on this team. I had him in my <laughs> preseason depth chart. Okay. That's just, you know, that was a group thing, which you guys know, I don't <laughs> participate <laughs> in group stuff. Participate. No, I, I, I think that Nick Basquin, he, you know, he was a guy that before the season last year, I, pretty much laughed at the idea of him actually getting meaningful PT and uh you know he he really had a nice year I think outside of uh I guess if you if you caught more than 10 balls I guess on this team last year you had a nice year I mean Didi was just so important to everything that they did it seemed like that if you could just get three or four receptions from another guy in a game you were usually pretty good but he obviously he's going to need to take another step this year I would think if if um if they want to have a, a, a good offense again, I guess. Jeff Mead brought him up. He singled him out as somebody that he thought could be a really good possession receiver for this team that, that you could trust where the, where he was going to be, that he was going to write, run the right route with the right timing, and he'd have sure hands. So uh, I, I think that he's someone, while he didn't get on the field a lot last year, a lot last year, when he was on the field, he, he did what he needed to do. He caught the balls that were thrown his way. He made big plays. He had that long touchdown. Uh, I can't remember what game that was now, but uh, – he, he did what he needed to do. And so, uh, you know, although I, I think that that's that inside kind of receiver position that's not a tight end is going to be interesting to see what happens because we also heard good things about Michael Jones. And maybe he's somebody that plays more of a kind of a slot inside role. And uh, he's someone that's almost been the forgotten guy from last year being the new hot receiver. What's he going to bring to this year? Now people have kind of moved on to Lamb and Rambo. But Michael Jones is still there. Michael Jones could be somebody uh, that factors into this offense before it's all said and done. Yeah, and I asked Bob about him on you know on his press conference day. Uh, I'll say this: here's kind of my hot take. They come out of the spring, and you're hearing really positive things about Michael Jones 
and Nick Basquin. I think this receiving core is going to be fine. And you add one more guy like a Zach Farrar or somebody like that that, you know, kind of comes out of the blue. Like, I'm, I hate to say it, I'm, I'm giving up on Jordan Smallwood being a great receiver. Kind of giving up on, on A.D. Miller. Jeffrey Meade, I think he can be good, not great. Dahu Green, you guys are bigger fans than I am, but I'm not giving up on him. I just, I think as long as you got Nick Basquin, Michael Jones, if those two were coming out playing well, you add them to Marquise and you add them to, to Mark Andrews, I think you're pretty good at receiver. I think Mark Andrews. And then see what happens with CeeDee Lamb and Charleston Rambo. If Mark Andrews is healthy or stays healthy all year, I think he's going to have a phenomenal year. Yeah, I, I asked him how he felt, and he said he felt 100% and that he really didn't feel that way most of last year until, I guess, the Sugar Bowl, uh, since he got some rest before then. And I asked him what his personal goals were goals were for this year, and he seems like someone who had big expectations for himself. I, I think Mark thinks this is going to be a, a year that, that really sets himself up um, to put up a lot of big numbers. He feels healthy. Um, there's you know a lot of yards uh, to be filled in from last year, and uh, – he did set the freshman receiving touchdown record at OU, so I think he's someone that really feels that he could have a big year in this system. Now, the thing about I worry with Mark is he's got the body. I think he's got the speed. Um, I don't know if he has – I worry about his agility and his, his wiggle, I guess you could say. To, I'm not sure if he has the explosiveness to really separate himself from guys that the way he needs to. What do you guys think about that? I don't. I don't. I don't. Who are you talking about? I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Mark Andrews. I, I, was flo- I should have singled somebody. I was just floating up. Mark Andrews, does he have... No, I mean, he doesn't have great separation. He. I don't think he'll you're ever not, be that not, guy. I don't but, think you're asking him to do that. But though. he is. he's a guy that, you know, it's like that play he had. He has these plays in the end zone. I think he had one at Tech. He had one against Auburn. Like, you throw the ball in his area, he's great at, like, posting up. And shielding you from getting to the football. He's so big and strong. But no, I mean, his biggest plays, there's a reason all his big pass plays come on bust by a secondary. Like, he's usually running wide open down the middle of the field uh, because somebody has had a bust. That And Lincoln Riley's great at drawing that stuff up, but that's that's his value to you. He's not, he's not a guy that's going to be a third down possession receiver. You can just count on him. Getting separation, sticking his foot in the ground, and and you know being three yards further downfield than the other guy. Who is that guy for Oklahoma this year? I think that's a good question. Who's the reliable guy? That okay, Baker third and five. Who's Baker looking at? Baskin. I don't know. We got to find. I think that that's out. Baskin's role. Yeah, yeah I agree. it really is. He's your third he down best. specialist. Yeah, you're right. Uh, because you think about Andrews, like forget the route run. You know, forget that. Like, do you really trust Mark Andrews' hands so far in his career to make that key third no, down catch? No, they're the not game? great. Not at all. They're not. I, I, we gotta, we get have to run here. We're running out of time. I want to hit on one other thing. Um, it, it was kind of awkward going out there and watching the DBs. And I did for a little bit and got some. You know, Justin Broyles uh, found the Sooner Scoop camera, of course, and as Josh noted, and uh, pointed right at us for a nice. Nice picture. Uh, but it was really strange seeing PJ and Banasaur out there running around. Like, oh, he's still here. Like, that guy has got to be... I'm surprised that he's still here. 
I feel like he's the guy at the bar that's heard last call four times and he just won't leave. <laughs> What's crazy about him is he might have a Stan Von Taylor career then where really early in both of their careers, they, they were on the field. They were looked to play and be you know uh, guys in this program, and then uh, they just – it didn't work out. They it didn't fall through, and but the, it looks like PJ's going to hang around the same way Stan Von did. Stan Von Taylor, he's given more to the program than well, PJ and Bannister. Special team, yeah, he has. he has. He actually started a game in his career. Well, I guess well, PJ, PJ did, did too. Yeah. I, I think for Stan Von, like he was always a kid that his degree was as important to him as playing football. With PJ, PJ wanted to be a star. Like PJ was talking about going to the NFL and doing all that kind of stuff. Like that's why this whole thing surprises me. Like I'm surprised that he would stay in a situation that, from everything I've gathered, I'm sure you guys have heard the same, I don't think he's unaware that it is a mountain he'll probably never climb. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think if, – if if Mike Stoops is around, you kind of know where you stand if you haven't played. Exactly. Like, so it's like you, – you wonder if the kid is just kind of ignoring the obvious. But I'll say this. I mean, it, you watch Jordan Parker out there. You watch – uh, Jordan Thomas, and right behind those guys, you notice Parnell Motley. I mean, that's I think he's going to be a, a real key to this team at some point this season, whether it's an injury or something. They're going to have to rely on him, and I think he's he could end up being one of your most valuable pieces on the defense. And they liked him a lot last year. He was somebody whose name uh, came up. Uh, I, I, for, in regards to P.J. and Banasaur, they, he saw the writing on the wall last year when Parnell Motley came in and was building this buzz, and I, he, I think he's already passed. That he's going to be passed by more guys in this next class, and uh, if I think if Oklahoma uh, they start the year on defense, they're going to want to have Jordan Thomas and Jordan Parker, and they're going to hope that that's it. Uh, I, I don't know how much further you, deeper you can go besides Parnell Motley. Did, can they trust Antoine Stevens? We know they can't really trust nope. PJ and Bonasaur, so nope. they better hope Parnell Motley's the guy if they. Have to go deep into the bench at all? They could go to Will Johnson if they really had to. Because he's done some decent things at corner as a backup. He's just one of those guys. I think they got lulled into this thing where Will Johnson was nice in spurts. They decided to make him a central figure of their defense. And it just, he's not a, he's not a star player. He's a six man. I think he's not a starter. Bob Stoops mm-hmm. had a good answer for him. It was somebody asked him, you know, can can Will Johnson fill that role? And the, the response was, well, you know, we've seen him do good things in the past, so you know, maybe he can do that in the future. That's kind of how. Don't ask him to be a linebacker right. against Ohio State again. I think they appreciate what he's done for them in the nickel in the past, but they saw his limitations against the Buckeyes, and I think that they, they're fully aware of that now. I, and it's it's something that I thought Josh did a great job pointing out after that game of. That that just was never going to work, and it's always going to be, uh, like I said, one of the limitations of having Will Johnson in there at that size. I, he can't he can't be that physical, and you could saw how much better the defense became once Caleb Kelly was your guy down there around the box or Stephen yeah. Parker. It, it, it's just there's no comparison. All right, well that's going to do it. We've got to uh, get out of here. I, I got to give us a chance to get this uploaded before practice starts. Uh, we're going to talk to defense today. Uh, scrimmage coming up this weekend. I do believe I'll be able to get you some info uh, on what goes. Of course, the first scrimmage is kind of a slow one. You know, it's interesting because they're going to have the the spring game on the eighth, but then they're also going to be practicing the week after that, and we're going to have like media after the spring game, so there'll be kind of a wrap up. Uh, so they're just getting started. Practice number two today. 
they'll have a little kind of a mini scrimmage, I think, over the weekend. Uh, we won't have any media until next week. Uh, but, you know, as always, the world-famous uh, closed scrimmage, scrimmage reports. I can't wait to see somebody. Be out there. Can't wait to, to see, like, somebody report that, you know, player A had a really good scrimmage and then Chris the Robinson is yeah, definitely the like starting the next, quarterback now. Yeah, for the next month it's well, he had a really good scrimmage in in April. I think he's going to be a Heisman. Saw. He's going to be a Heisman winner. Guess what? You're wrong. And that guy will never play. <laughs> is usually how that works. I love the spring award. We need to give a week a yearly spring award to the player that makes the most noise. scrimmage scrimmage star of the year makes the most noise but will never play it down in oklahoma and my my other favorite thing is when i give a closed scrimmage report which you're lucky to have in the first place but my other favorite thing is when people argue with me about the details of the closed scrimmage report when they weren't at the scrimmage either that but then their source told them no it was a 65 yard touchdown not a 60 yeah that's that goes back to the type of people that want to bitch about a kid playing uh, or taking visits. Same mentality, really. You I just, think it's worse. You just don't get I it. I can sort of understand being upset about a kid taking a visit. But when you want to argue about something that neither one of us saw with our own eyes, I just, I'd like to murder you. That's Well, and it's always the triviality the of it. Like, was it a 57-yard touchdown or a 62-yard Who gives a crap? Like, that doesn't make any difference to the narrative of the story. I heard PJ and Bonasaur blew the coverage. No! It was Antoine Stevens, you idiot! And five different people can see five completely different things, so you're always going to deal with that filter. Like, this is what this guy saw. Well, I heard somebody else saw something. I assume they did, too. You know, that's just kind of... You're watching 22 guys in one snap collide into each other. People are going to see different things, you know? All right, well, that's going to do it. Uh, enough with the bitching. Uh, it's great to be back and actually be covering some football. Uh, by the way, uh, John Shin is uh, helping us out during spring practice, and uh, uh, great to have him on board writing stories. And no, I'm not asking him to uh, deal with you guys on the message boards uh, because I don't want him to run screaming. I want him to keep writing stories for now. Uh, so for Josh McQuistion, Josh and Laney McQuistion, who was a special guest on the show today. Thanks, Josh, for joining us. Absolutely. I tried to bring her in here so she would do it, but I'll have to do the send-off instead. We'll have to. Oh, you did. You tried to get her to say bye? I tried to get her in here. She's She is a little afraid of me and the headphones and the microphone. I think it's a little much for her. You're going to have to get her used to it because we need to get her on one of these days. <laughs> All right. For Eddie Radosevich, for Joe Duvall, thanks, guys, for uh, jumping in the studio with me. I'm Kerry Murdoch, and we'll see you guys next time right back here on the Unofficial 40.